Let's pray. God, on this uh, Pentecost Sunday, as we dig into the Scriptures and begin to look at the importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and the importance of the Holy Spirit for us, we also uh, know that it is a uh, weekend that's not a holiday, but uh, something that is... Um, uh, sobering and, and the fact that that war exists the fact that uh, as humans we just can't figure out how to get along with each other and because of that uh, good people die and uh, so just help us as, as we talk about the spirit and the peace that the spirit brings us and the work that the spirit desire, desires to do in our hearts that we would be those who work toward peace. Um, that we would be the example for those uh, who need an example on how a diverse group of people can get along. Not only that, not, not only we, do we just put up with one another, but we come to this place to worship and we genuinely love each other and we serve each other and we look out for each other. And that this is the way that you wanted it to be all along. And you have called us to be ambassadors of peace. And so we pray that you would empower us to do that work. God, we know that we come to this place. You know, I, I say it every week at the end of service that we're going to make mistakes. And we know that we have made mistakes this week. And we kind of carry that into this worship space this morning. And maybe with that, a little bit of... Uh, shame or embarrassment or a feeling of guilt. And so we just want to kind of give that over to you because we know throughout Scripture that when we mess up, that you show up not to shake a finger, but to say, I, I long to heal you. I long to bring you back into right relationship. Uh, I, I long for you to have abundant life and freedom and liberation from the things that are holding you down. And so we're learning. We're learning slowly as we go along that, that you're the first place we need to turn uh, when we make mistakes. So we're doing that right now, God. We're just going to take a moment to confess the things that we want to say to you in our hearts. God, take these uh, confessions that we've given to you now and take them as far as the east is from the west. Remove them from us. Cleanse us. Renew us. Bring us back into right relationships so that as we worship you this morning, there's nothing hindering us from seeing you, from hearing you, from taking the good things that you long to give us in this hour. God, we do also want to lift up concerns that we have this morning because we know that all good things work for those who love you. We love you, Lord. And so we are praying that good things would come. Those loved ones around us, people, friends, situations, concerns, we're going to call these out to you now. In your mercy, hear our prayer. Mary Ann Lott 
and Joyce Woods. Lord, in your mercy, hear yeah, our prayer. prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 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 For those who are traveling for summer, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. The families of the Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We give you these and any unspoken requests this morning. Take them, take the, the burden that we're carrying as far as the east is from the west so that we might receive your yoke of peace this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come and worship. We thank you for the freedom, the ability to do this when in so many places in the world it's not an option for folks. And I pray that we would not... Uh, Take that freedom lightly, that we would consider it a privilege and honor to be gathered together. And we ask that you be glorified in all that we say and do this morning. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our scripture this morning uh, comes from... The last parts of Paul's letter to the Romans, we've kind of been uh, looking at Paul's letter. Uh, this is actually the last Sunday of the narrative lectionary. Believe it or not, we have made it through a cycle of the narrative lectionary. And uh, so next week begins uh, kind of this summer time where the narrative lectionary doesn't really uh, have a place to go, and so we'll move over to the Revised Common Lectionary. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. It's just lists of scriptures for pastors to preach. But uh, the Narrative Lectionary, I, I think, is uh, especially neat because it starts in Genesis and works its way through uh, and then kind of ends at Pentecost, which is where we are today. And so uh, Pentecost... Um, is this moment, I'm going to talk about it in my sermon, but it's this moment that really kind of highlights the Holy Spirit. And so Paul talks about that in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8. We're going to be looking at different verses. Uh, you have that in your bulletin, so you can look at that. But listen now for a word from the Lord. Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, 
if in fact we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and we are, who are called according to His purpose. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, as I dare to bring a word, as I uh, dare to speak on behalf of you, I pray that you would remove anything in me that might keep that from happening. Make me your instrument. Open our hearts and minds that we might receive a word from you today. We ask this in the name of your spirit. Amen. So uh, I, I was thinking today about, uh, well, this week is, is looking over Paul's letter. I was thinking about love. What is the uh, opposite of love? You guys can answer. Hate. hate, right? The opposite of love is hate. Anybody else have another opposite you want to throw out there? Pride. Pride. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Indifference. Indifference. Yeah, yeah. Prejudice. Prejudice. A lot of things that we could we could name, and they're all kind of tied to this idea of hate. But it's really interesting because First John uh, chapter four tells us that the opposite of love is none of those things. It's actually fear. Fear, 1 John tells us, is the opposite of hate. That God's perfect love is casting out all fear. That if there is fear in us, that what God is attempting to do is to cast out that fear by love. So many things that we are afraid of. I mean, you could probably list some things. Certainly sickness, suffering, death, we fear those things. We fear loss. We fear stock market crashes and loss of savings. My dad will look at his, his uh, retirement plan when, the, when there's a dip in the stock market. He's like, oh, I lost so much money. We fear things like communism and fascism and socialism. We fear unemployment. Maybe most of all, as Christians, we fear the wrath of God or hell. Out of hell. Is this thing going in and out? It is, isn't it? All right, I can't deal with that. Uh, I don't know why it's doing that, though. If it keeps doing it, then we're going to switch to the handheld, okay? Um, what, one could make the argument, I think, uh, a theological argument that all the sin that exists in the world 
finds its root in fear. Do you think that's possible? I mean, think about, uh, think about Adam and Eve taking that first bite. They were afraid that God maybe was keeping something from them because the serpent said, oh, God knows you'll be like him if you eat this fruit. So there's this thing that, well, maybe God is keeping something from me. I better taste this fruit. Cain kills his brother Abel. Why? Well, because he's afraid that he's, he, he, he brings an offering and his brother brings an offering and God accepts one offering and not the other. And it's like this fear that, well, maybe God loves my brother more than me. And so I'm just going to knock him out, get him out of the way. I think you could make the argument that fear is the root of all sin in the world. It's the root of all of our problems. In fact, you could probably boil the gospel message down into one single thought, and that would be this. God sent Jesus to save us from our fears. And we don't talk about the gospel that way. We don't talk about the cross that way. We, we say other things like his blood frees us or, you know, saves us from the wrath of God or saves us from hell. But I think, I think God sent Jesus to save us from our fears. I mean, think about that garden scenario. Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and the first thing that happens is they run and hide. We have been scared since day one. We've been scared of God, scared of God's uh, response to our sin, and God has been trying to free us from that ever since. Here's the cool thing that I want to talk about today. Jesus isn't the only one that was sent to free us from fear. God also sent the Spirit. God sent the Spirit to save us. We spend so much time talking about Jesus. We just sang a song, Crucified to Set Me Free, right? We sing about Jesus. We have images of crosses everywhere. But according to the Bible... The Spirit is the one who's running the show right now. Did you know that? That Jesus says to his disciples, it's good if I go away so that then the Spirit can come. I'm going to send the Spirit to you. Now the Spirit has always been around. It's not as if this is a new thing that, that Jesus says, I'm going to send you this thing that you don't know anything about, and it's called the Spirit. The Spirit has always been around. The disciples knew about it all throughout the Old Testament. In the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, 1, God creates and it's all kind of chaotic and said the Spirit of God hovered over this chaos, ready to, to bring it into order. Right then, the very beginning, uh, we see that God um, creates Adam uh, out of the dust of the earth and it's just kind of like this shell of a, of, of, a, of a human until God comes and breathes life, spirit, into this mud man. The Bible says that, that the Spirit brings life and consciousness not only to humans, but animals too. We see that the Spirit falls upon prophets and kings and judges and allows them to lead God's people and to deliver a word from God. We see in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary so that she might become pregnant with Jesus, right? The birth of Jesus is possible because of the Spirit. We see that at Jesus' baptism, that the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and equips him for ministry. He, he immediately after his baptism goes out and enters into ministry. 
because the Spirit is empowering him to do this. We read in the Bible that the Spirit is the one that raises Jesus from the dead. The Spirit has been alive and active and moving since day one. But at Pentecost, the Spirit did something new. At Pentecost, what we just saw in that, they're, they're gathered together for the, the, the harvest uh, festival in Jerusalem. And the Spirit comes and breathes new life into God's now expanded covenant people. A covenant people which was just Israel before, but now is all nations, Gentiles, Jews, Greeks, all over the place, everyone. The Spirit breathes new life into this group of people, empowering them and leading them and guiding them to continue the work of Jesus. All of a sudden we see a fisherman named Peter delivering a powerful sermon. That's because of the Spirit, that he was emboldened and able to do that. Pentecost, then, is the birthday of the church. Happy birthday, everybody. That's what Pentecost is. It is the birth of the church. But that's not all. But that's not all. There's more. <clears throat> Paul tells us specifically in this bit of his letter to the Romans that the Spirit comes to save us from our fears and our weaknesses. He says, you all didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received a spirit of adoption that confirms you belong to God. Amen. What does he mean, a spirit of adoption? What does he mean by that? You know, probably at the time that this letter was written, uh, Nero would have been Caesar of Rome. You probably heard some stuff about Nero. He was not a very nice guy. He killed a lot of Christians, in fact. Nero was a bad guy. But Nero, at the age of 12, was actually adopted by his uncle Claudius. Now, Claudius was the current Caesar of Rome at the time, and Claudius had his own biological son. But when he adopted Nero, by Roman law, Nero became a legitimate son with all the rights and privileges of Claudius's biological son. There was no difference between the two. And eventually, Nero would take the throne and take over. There, was no, there, was, there, there wasn't this bit that my biological son has uh, some kind of uh, more importance in the eyes of the throne. Nero, according to Roman law, was a legitimate son, and that happened through adoption. I can guarantee Paul had this in mind as he's writing this letter, as he's writing this bit about adoption. He's trying to tell us that the spirit that you were given allows you to approach the throne of God boldly without fear because you are legitimate children with full rights, full privileges, full benefits. And he says, whether you call God Abba as the Jews do or Father as the Greeks do, He is your Father. He is the Father of all of us. And the Spirit confirms this in our hearts verifying not only are we true children, but we stand to inherit all that comes with it, specifically resurrection glory. Right? Jesus 
the Son of God, is resurrected from the dead. And Paul says, we too are children. The Spirit has confirmed this. We too will be raised from the dead, just as Jesus was. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, not only that, but the Spirit is with us in our darkest moments of suffering and weakness. Because if Jesus suffered, you will suffer too. If Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be raised too because you're true children. And that's how it goes with children of God. But the Spirit is with you in your darkest moments. And when you don't even know how to pray, when words escape you because things are so dark, know that the Spirit is praying from within you direct pipeline to God. I think that's amazing. Praying to God from within you with sighs and groans, with words that are not even comprehensible. This is what the Spirit does us, interceding on our behalf. Y'all, I'm telling you what, we do not praise the Spirit enough. We do not praise the Spirit enough. I think it's sad that the Spirit gets one Sunday in which we deck it out with red. <clears throat> Do you know why the red, by the way? Why the red? Mike, why red? <coughs> because when the disciples were gathered in the room, they saw flames, tongues of fire that came and landed and rested on each of them. The Holy Spirit is symbolized by flame and fire, hence the red. But the Spirit gets one Sunday when we put the red out. I think the Spirit needs more weeks than that. We should change that. Let's work to change that. You know, maybe this is why Jesus referred to the Spirit with a special name, Parakletos, which we translate as comforter. I will send the comforter to you in the Gospel of John, one who soothes and comforts and whispers messages of, you got this, you can do this. Love and safety and encouragement. This is the role of the Spirit now in us and through us, saving us from our fears. You know, Elena can tell you more about this. Elena, I didn't tell you I was going to talk about you. Lena can tell you more about this because she teaches yoga. But studies are, are done. Studies can show you that breathing affects our anxiety, affects our whole system, right? Brandy's shaking her head. She knows. That somehow breathing rewires the circuitry. And when you are in a moment of deep anxiety and stress, breathing can change that. Military persons are trained to use box breathing. You guys know what box breathing is? It's like uh, uh, you, you breathe in for a count of, some of you are breathing right now, you're yawning. Uh, you breathe in for a count of, say, 10, then you hold it for 10, then you exhale for 10, and then you hold for 10. So it's like intentional, uh, slowed down, deep breathing. And they will have military personnel use this to calm their fears in moments of high stress. They're not the only ones. Scuba divers have to know how to do this. Spelunkers, people who go in caves. Astronauts, firefighters. People who go into these really intense situations 
And the body's natural response is to begin to breathe more and more shallow, and you don't get enough oxygen. And so you're trained in that moment to breathe deeply and slowly, and it begins to override that natural response so that you can do the job that you need to do. This doesn't surprise me. Guess what the word spirit is in Hebrew and Greek? Breath, right? In Hebrew, it's ruach. In Greek, it's pneuma. Both of them mean exactly the same thing. Spirit, breath, or wind. In fact, when your English translators are going through the Bible, they're translating this, when they come across ruach or pneuma, in the Old Testament, ruach, New Testament, pneuma, when they come across this word, they have to choose spirit, breath, or wind based on what they think is the best translation. Now, they didn't have that problem in Hebrew and Greek because it all meant the same thing to them. To us, we have different words. And so when we see God sending quail on the wind to the people in the wilderness, we go, well, let's put wind there. But it's also breath or spirit that's driving the quail in. When God breathed into Adam, formed him from the dust of the earth and breathed into him, breath, spirit, right? Hence, he becomes a living being, takes his first breath and becomes a living being. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, into my hands I commend my spirit and he breathed his last, that word, it's spirit. He breathed his last, spirit. Did you know that the very name of God given to Moses at the burning bush. Did you know we don't know how to pronounce that? It's four consonants. Y-H-W-H. There's no vowels. We don't know how it's pronounced. You can't say it. Now, we fill in the letters. We put an A in there and an E, and we say Yahweh. We really don't know, because Hebrew doesn't have vowels. It's only got consonants. Y-H-W-H. The best we can do with four consonants is breathe them. To say the sacred name of God, the best you can do is breathe it. Which means every person on the planet right now is breathing the name of God whether they know it or not. God's Spirit sustains us, gives us life. It is the way we are designed to be enlivened by the Spirit of God. And so if our very existence is dependent upon this Spirit, if God freely gives us this Spirit is pleased to do so. If God sends the Spirit at our baptisms to confirm and seal us as true children of God, adopted into the family and given all the same rights and privileges as Christ, if the Spirit empowers us and guides us into all truth and reminds us of who we are and comforts us, if the Spirit intercedes on our behalf right when we need it the most, Paul says, there should be no doubt how God feels about us. 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Not even hell itself can snatch us out of the hand of that kind of love. This is Paul's conclusion. As he's wrapping up his letter to the Romans, he's like, y'all don't need to be afraid anymore. The Spirit has come. This tells us how God feels about us. So breathe deep. Don't be afraid. Go out to love and serve your Lord with the boldness that comes as true children of God. And so today, on the birthday of the church, as we wrap up the narrative lectionary, as we pause for one Sunday out of the year to highlight the Holy Spirit, let us praise the Spirit. Let us give all thanks and glory to the Spirit who loves us and saves us. Let us invite this Spirit ever deeper into our lives. Let us breathe deep and give thanks for the life that we're given by the Spirit. Let us open our hearts and minds with the power that comes to us freely in the Spirit. And as these disciples were gifted with this new way of communicating to those around them, to the nations, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to folks that they had no connection to. I pray that that is the same way that we would receive the Spirit. That we would be open to the idea that the Spirit wants to come and send us to a people that we have no connection to. That somehow the words that we bring to them make a connection And that they come to know Jesus, not because we're great preachers, not because we're awesome people, but because the Spirit has descended upon us and given us that ability, and we said yes. So we're going to take communion now. And as we do this, we're going to think more deeply about the Spirit. Let's pray. God, as we take this communion today, even though this was a gift that Jesus gave us to strengthen us, we know that none of this would be possible without the Spirit. In fact, we're going to ask you, Holy Spirit, to fall upon these gifts so that they might transform in power to something that actually sustains us for the mission to which you have called us. And so ready our hearts this morning. Amen. Uh, Will you grab the hand of the person next to you? Form a big chain across this place. Hey folks, if you'll say a prayer for us as we head down to conference, uh, pray for a couple things. That we have safe travel and safe return. Uh, Not just for us, but for all the people that are gathering. And pray that conference is uh, an act of unity. This is our first conference since the split. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. But we're praying for unity in the spirit. With that, will you receive this blessing? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
may you know you are perfectly loved, completely forgiven, and uniquely empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. As we do this, folks, we're going to make some mistakes this week. But I need to tell you, when you make those mistakes, it doesn't change how God feels about you because God's love for us is not based on our performance. It's rooted in His very nature. God is love. So that by grace, when He looks at us, He says, Y'all, you're nothing but the best of the best of the best. And if you could believe that, just a pinch of it, it has the power to transform everything. And so I pray that as you go from this place, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you receive that word. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace. Amen.